Section 16 of The Great Events by Famous Historians, Volume 6. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Great Events by Famous Historians, Volume 6. Edited by Charles F. Horn, Rosader Johnson, and John Rudd. Innocent III exalts the papal power. Under Pope Innocent III, the example of Gregory VII, Hildebrand, was followed, with the result of still further strengthening and extending the pontifical sway. When Innocent became Pope, 1198, the Holy See was engaged in a desperate contest for supremacy with the Hohenstaufen rulers of the Holy Roman Empire. Henry VI, son of Frederick Barbarossa, had but recently died leaving his wife, Constance, heiress of the kingdom of Naples, or the two Sicilies, and a son, Frederick, afterward Frederick II, born in 1194, to be dealt with by the Pope. While the imperial power under the Hohenstaufens was making head against the papal authority, Italy was overrun in parts by German subjects of the emperors, and in two expeditions, 1194 and 1197, Henry the Sixth recovered the two Sicilies from the usurper, Tancred of Lecce. In his dealings with the Sicilies, Innocent therefore had to reckon with the German influence, which played an important part in the new settlement of the kingdom. His triumphs in this field, as well as in his conflicts with Philip Augustus of France, Otto the Fourth of Germany, and King John of England and in the war which he made upon heretics are set forth in the following article in their historical order and the cumulative growth of his supremacy forms a subject of increasing interest to the end after the great emperors came the great pope within four months of the death of henry the sixth celestine the third had been succeeded by innocent the third under whom the visions of gregory the seventh and Alexander the Third, at last became accomplished facts. The papal authority attained its highest point of influence, and the empire, raised to such heights by Frederick Barbarossa and Henry the Sixth, was reduced to a condition of dependence upon it. The new pope had been Lothair of Segni, a member of the noble Roman house of Conti, who had studied law and theology at Paris and Bologna, and had at an early age won for himself a many-sided reputation as a jurist, a politician, and as a writer. The favor of his uncle, Clement III, had made him cardinal before he was thirty, but under Celestine III he kept in the background, disliked by the Pope, and himself suspicious of the timid and temporizing old man. But on Celestine's death, on January 8, 1198, Lothair, though still only 37 years of age, was at once hailed as his most fitting successor, as the strong man who could win for the church all the advantages that she might hope to gain from the death of Henry VI. Nor did Innocent's pontificate belie the promise of his early career. Innocent III possessed a majestic and noble appearance, an unblemished private character, 
popular manners, a disposition prone to sudden fits of anger and melancholy, and a fierce and indomitable will. He brought to his exalted position the clearly formulated theories of the canonist as to the nature of the papal power, as well as the overweening ambition, the high courage, the keen intelligence, and the perseverance and energy necessary to turn the theories of the schools into matters of everyday importance. His enunciations of the papal doctrine put claims that Hildebrand himself had hardly ventured to advance in the clearest and most definite light. The Pope was no mere successor of Peter, the vicegerent of man. The Roman pontiff, he wrote, is the vicar, not of man, but of God himself. The Lord gave Peter the rule not only of the universal church, but also the rule of the whole world. The Lord Jesus Christ has set up one ruler over all things as his universal vicar, and as all things in heaven, earth, and hell bow the knee to Christ, so should all obey Christ's vicar, that there should be one flock and one shepherd. No king can reign rightly unless he devoutly serves Christ's vicar. Princes have power in earth, priests have also power in heaven, Princes reign over the body, priests over the soul. As much as the soul is worthier than the body, so much worthier is the priesthood than the monarchy. The sacerdotium is the sun, the regnum the moon. Kings rule over their respective kingdoms, but Peter rules over the whole earth. The sacerdotium came by divine creation, the regnum by man's cunning. In these unrestricted claims to rule over church and state alike, we seem to be back again in the anarchy of the 11th century. And it was not against the feeble, feudal princes of the days of Hildebrand that Innocent III had to contend, but against strong national kings like Philip of France and John of England. It is significant of the change of times that Innocent sees his chief antagonist not so much in the empire is in the limited localized power of the national kings. When Richard of England had yielded before Henry the Sixth, the national state gave way before the universal authority of the Lord of the World. But Innocent claimed that he alone was Lord of the World. The empire was but a German or Italian kingdom, ruling over its limited sphere. Only in Papacy was the old Roman tradition of universal monarchy rightly upheld. Filled with these ambitions of universal monarchy, Innocent's survey took in both the smallest and the greatest of European affairs. Primarily, his work was that of an ecclesiastical statesman, and entrenched far upon the authority of the state, we shall see him restoring the papal authority in Rome and in the patrimony, building up the machinery of papal absolutism protecting the infant king of Sicily, cherishing the municipal freedom of Italy, making and unmaking kings and emperors at his will, forcing the fiercest of the western sovereigns to acknowledge his feudal supremacy, and the greatest of the kings of France to reform his private life at his commands, giving his orders to the petty monarchs of Spain and Hungary, and promulgating the law of the church universal, before the assembled prelates of Christendom 
in the Lateran Council. Nevertheless, the many-sided pontiff had not less near to his heart the spiritual and intellectual than the political direction of the universe. He had the utmost zeal for the extension of the kingdom of Christ. The affair of the crusade was, as we shall see, ever his most pressing care, and it was his bitterest grief that all his efforts to rouse the Christian world for the recovery of Jerusalem fell on deaf ears. He was strenuous in upholding orthodoxy against the daring heretics of southern France. He was sympathetic and considerate to great religious teachers, like Francis and Dominic, from whose work he had the wisdom to anticipate the revival of the inner life of the church, as many-sided as strong and successful as he was strong. Innocent III represents its worthily and adequately. Even before Innocent had attained the chair of Peter, the worst dangers that had so long beset the successors of Alexander III were over. After the death of Henry VI, the Sicilian and the German crowns were separated, and the strong anti-imperial reaction that burst out all over Italy against the oppressive ministers of Henry VI was allowed to run its full course. The danger was not so much of despotism as of anarchy, and Innocent, like Hildebrand, knew how to turn confusion to the advantage of hierarchy. No real effort was made to obtain for the little Frederick the crowns of both Germany and Sicily, while Philip of Swabia, her brother-in-law, hurried to Germany to maintain, if he could, the unity of the Hohenstaufen Empire. Constance was quite content to secure her son's succession in Naples and Sicily by renewing the homage due to the Pope. Having thus obtained the indispensable papal confirmation, Constance ruled in Naples as a national queen in the name of the little Frederick. She drove away the German bandits, who had made the name of her husband a terror to her subjects. Markwald of Anweiler left his Apulian fiefs for Omania, but the Pope joined with Constance in hostility to the Germans. Without Innocent's strong and constant support, she could hardly have carried out her policy. Recognizing in the renewal of the old papal protection the best hopes for the independence of Sicily, Constance, on her death in 1198, called on Innocent III to act as the guardian of her son. Innocent loyally took up her work and struggled with all his might to preserve the kingdom of Frederick against his many enemies, but the contest was a long and a fierce one. No sooner was Constance dead then the Germans came back to their prey. The fierce Markwald, driven from Romagna by the papal triumph, claimed the regency and the custody of the king. The Saracens and Greeks of Sicily, still numerous and active, joined the Germans. Walter, bishop of Troja, chancellor of Sicily, weaved deep plots against his master and his overlord but the general support of the church gave Innocent a strong weapon. Rofrid, abbot of Mont Cassino, a tried friend of Henry VI, declared for Innocent against Markwald, who in revenge besieged the great monastery until the summer storm drove him baffled from its walls. But the purchased support of Pisa gave Markwald the command of the sea. 
and innocent, had too many schemes on foot, and too little military power at his command to be able to make easy headway against him. At last, innocent had reluctant recourse to Count Walter of Brienne, the French husband of Tancred's daughter Albina, and now a claimant for the hereditary fiefs of Tancred, Lecce, and Toronto, from which, despite Henry the Sixth's promise, he had long been driven. For almost the first time in Italian history, Frenchmen were thus called in to drive out the Germans. But it was then, as afterward, a dangerous experiment. Walter Brienne and his small French following invaded Apulia, and fought hard against Diopold of Acara, another of King Henry's Germans. Meanwhile, Markwald, now in open alliance with the Bishop of Troja, made himself master of Sicily and regent of the young king. His death in 1202 removed the most dangerous enemy of both Innocent and Frederick. But the war dragged on for years in Apulia, especially after Diopold had slain Walter of Brienne. The turbulent feudal barons of Apulia and Sicily profited by this long reign of anarchy to establish themselves on a permanent basis. At last, Innocent sent his own brother, Richard, Count of Segni, to root out the last of the Germans. So successful was he that, in 1208, the Pope himself visited the kingdom of his ward, and arranged for its future government by native lords, helped by his brother, who now received a rich Apulian fief. It was Innocent's glory that he had secured for Frederick the whole Norman inheritance. It was amid such storms and troubles that the young Frederick grew up to manhood. In central and northern Italy, Innocent III was more speedily successful than in the south. On Philip of Swabia's return to Germany, Tuscany and the domains of the Countess Matilda fell away from their foreign lord and invoked the protection of the church. The Tuscan cities formed themselves into a new league under papal protection. Only Pisa, proud of her sea power, wealth, and trade, held aloof from the combination. It seemed as if, after a century of delays, the papacy was going to enjoy the inheritance of Matilda, and Innocent eagerly set himself to work to provide for its administration. In the north, the Pope maintained friendly relations with the rival communities of the Lombard Plain, but his most immediate and brilliant triumph was in establishing his authority over Rome and the patrimony of St. Peter. On his accession, he found his lands just throwing off the yoke of the German garrisons that had kept them in subjection during Henry VI's lifetime. He saw within the city power divided between the Prefectus Urbis, the delegate of the emperor, and the Summus Senator, the mouthpiece of the Roman commune. Within a month, the prefect ceased to be an imperial officer, and became the servant of the papacy, bound to it by felty oaths, and receiving from it his office. Within a year, the senator also had become the papal nominee, and the whole municipality was controlled by the pope. No less complete was Innocent's triumph over the nobility of the Campania. He drove Conrad of Erslingen back to Germany and restored Spoleto to papal rule. He chased Markwald from Romagna 
in the march of Ancona to Apulia, and exercised sovereign rights even in the most remote regions that acknowledged him as lord. If it was no very real way that Innocent wielded, it at least allowed the town leagues and the rustic nobility to go on in their own way, and made it possible for Italy to work out its own destinies. More powerful and more feared in Italy than any of his predecessors, Innocent could contently watch the anti-imperial reaction extending over the Alps and desolating Germany by civil war. Despite the precautions taken by Henry VI, it was soon clear that the German princes would not accept the hereditary rule of a child of three. Philip of Swabia abandoned his Italian domains and hurried to Germany, anxious to do his best for his nephew. But he soon perceived that Frederick's chances were hopeless, and that it was all that he could do to prevent the undisputed election of a gulf. He was favored by the absence of the two elder sons of Henry the Lion, Henry of Brunswick, the eldest, the Count Palatine of the Rhine, was away on a crusade, and was loyal to the Hohenstaufen, since his happy marriage with Agnes. The next son, Otto, born at Argentin, during his father's first exile, had never seen such of Germany. Brought up at his uncle Richard's of Anjou's court, Otto had received many marks of Richard's favor, and looked up to the chivalrous, adventurous king as an ideal of a warrior prince. Richard had made him Earl of Yorkshire, and had invested him in 1196 with the country of Poitou, that he might learn war and statecraft in the same rude school in which Richard had first acquainted himself with arms and politics. Even now, Otto was not more than seventeen years of age. Richard himself, as the new vassal for, of the empire for Ares and England, was duly summoned to the electoral diet. But his representatives, impolitically, urged the claims of Count Henry, who was ruled ineligible on account of his absence. Thus, it was that when the German magnates at last met for the election on the 8th of March, 1198, at Mühlhausen, their choice fell on Philip the Arabian, who took the title Philip II. Many of the magnates had absented themselves from the Diet at Mühlhausen, and an irreconcilable band of partisans refused to be bound by its decisions. Richard of England now worked actively for Otto, his favorite nephew, and found support both in the old allies of the Angevins in the lower Rhineland and the ancient supporters of the House of Gulf. Germany was thus divided into two parties who completely ignored each other's acts. Three months after the Diet of Mühlhausen, another Diet met at Cologne and chose Otto of Brunswick as King of the Romans. Three days afterwards, the young prince was crowned at Aachen. A ten years' civil war between Philip II and Otto IV now devastated the Germany that Barbarossa and Henry VI had left so prosperous. The majority of the princes remained firm to Philip, who also had the support of the strong and homogeneous official class of ministeriales that had been the best helpers of his father and brother. Nevertheless, Otto had enough of a party 
to carry on the struggle. On his side was Cologne, the great mart of Lower Germany, so important from its close trading relations with England, and now gradually shaking itself free of its archbishops. The friendship of Canute of Denmark and the Gulf tradition combined to give him his earliest and greatest success in the north. It was the interest of the baronage to prolong a struggle, which secured their own independence at the expense of the central authority. Both parties looked for outside help. Otto, besides his Danish friends, relied on his uncle Richard, and, after his death, on his uncle John. Philip formed a league with his namesake, Philip of France, but distant princes could do but little to determine the result of the contest. It was of more moment that both appealed to Innocent III, and that the Pope willingly accepted the position of arbiter. The settlement of this matter, he declared, belongs to the Apostolic See, mainly because it was the Apostolic See that transferred the empire from the east to the west, and ultimately because the same See confers the imperial crown. In March 1201, Innocent issued his decision. We pronounce, he declared, Philip unworthy of empire, and absolve all who have taken oaths of fealty to him as king. Inasmuch as our dear son in Christ, Otto, is industrious, discreet, strong, and constant, himself devoted to the church, and descended on each side from a devout stock, we, by the authority of St. Peter, receive him as king, and will in due course bestow upon him the imperial crown. The grateful Otto promised in return to maintain all the possessions and privileges of the Roman Church, including the inheritance of the Countess Matilda. Philip of Swabia still held his own, and the extravagance of the papal claim led to many of the bishops, as well as the lay magnates of Germany, joining in a declaration that no former pope had ever presumed to interfere in an imperial election. But the swords of his German followers were a stronger argument in favor of Philip's claims than the protests of his supporters against papal assumptions. As time went on, the Hohenstaufen slowly got the better of the gulfs. With the falling away of the north, Otto's cause became distinctly the losing one. In 1206, Otto was defeated outside the walls of Cologne, and the great trading city was forced to transfer its obedience to his rival. In 1207, Philip became so strong that Innocent was constrained to reconsider his position, and suggested to Otto the propriety of renouncing his claims. But in June 1208, Philip was treacherously murdered at Bamberg by his faithless vassal Otto of Wittelsbach, to whom he had refused his daughter's hand. It was no political crime, but a deed of private vengeance. It secured, however, the position of Otto, for the ministeriales now transferred their allegiance to him, and there was no Hohenstaufen candidate ready to oppose him. Otto, moreover, did not scruple to undergo a fresh election, which secured for him universal recognition in Germany. By marrying Beatrice, Philip of Swabia's daughter, he sought to unite the rival houses, while he conciliated Innocent by describing himself as king by the grace of God and the Pope. Next year, he crossed the Alps to Italy, 
and bound himself by oath not only to allow the papacy of the privileges that he had already granted but to grant complete freedom in ecclesiastical elections and to support the pope in his struggle against heresy in october 1209 he was crowned emperor at rome after ten years of waiting innocent already master of italy had procured for his independent both the german kingdom and the roman empire despite his preoccupation with italy and germany the early years of innocent's pontificate saw him busily engaged in upholding the papal authority and the moral order of the church in every country and europe no consideration of the immediate interests of the roman see ever prevented him from maintaining his principles even against powerful sovereigns who could do much to help forward his general plans the most conspicuous instance of this was innocent's famous quarrel with philip augustus of france when to vindicate a simple principle of christian morals he did not hesitate to abandon the alliance of the eldest son of the church at a time when the fortunes of the papacy were everywhere doubtful philip's first wife isabella of hainault the mother of the future louis the eighth had died in eleven ninety just before her husband had started on his crusade in eleven ninety three philip negotiated a second marriage with ingeborg the sister of canute the sixth the powerful king of denmark hoping to obtain from his danish brother-in-law substantial help against england and the empire philip did not get the expected political advantages from the new connection and at once took a strong dislike to the lady on the day after the marriage philip refused to have anything more to do with his bride within three months he persuaded a synod of complacent french bishops of Campiane to pronounce the marriage void by reason of a remote kinship that existed between the two parties ingborg was young timid friendless helpless and utterly ignorant of the french tongue but king canute took up her cause and from her retreat in a french convent she appealed to rome against the wickedness of the french king and clergy celestine the third proved her friend and finding protestations of no avail he finally quashed the sentence of the french bishops and declared her the lawful wife of the french king but philip persisted in his repudiation of ingeborg and celestine contented himself with remonstrances and warnings that were utterly disregarded in eleven ninety six philip found a fresh wife in agnes a lady of the powerful house of andex Marin, whose authority was great in thuringia and whose alpine lordships soon developed into the country of tyrol innocent at once proved a stronger champion of ingborg than the weak and aged celestine his forthwith warned philip and the french bishops that they had no right to put asunder those whom god had joined together recall your lawful wife he wrote to philip and then we will hear all that you can righteously urge if you do not do this no power shall move us to right or left until justice be done a papal legend was now sent to france threatening excommunication and interdict where ingeborg not immediately reinstated in her place for a few months the pope hesitated 
moved, no doubt, by his Italian and German troubles, and fearful lest his action against a Christian prince should delay the hoped-for crusade. But he gradually turned the leaders of the French clergy from their support of Philip, and at last in February, 1200, an interdict was pronounced forbidding the public celebration of the rites of the church and the whole lands that owed obedience to the king of France. Philip Augustus held out fiercely for a time, declaring that he would rather lose half his lands than be separated from Agnes. Meanwhile, he used pressure on his bishops to make them disregard the interdict, and vigorously intrigued with the cardinals, seeking to build up a French party in the papal curia. Innocent so far showed complacency that the legit he sent to France was the king's kinsman, Octavian, cardinal bishop of Ostia, who was anxious to make Philip's humiliation as light as possible. His labors were eased by the partial submission of Philip, who in September visited Ingeborg and promised to take her again as his wife, and so gave an excuse to end the interdict. Philip still claimed that his marriage should be dissolved, though here again he suddenly abandoned a suit which he probably saw was hopeless. The death of Agnes of Moran in July 1201 made a complete reconciliation less difficult. Next year, the Pope legitimated the children of Agnes and Philip on the ground that the sentence of divorce pronounced by the French bishops gave the king reasonable grounds for entering in good faith on his union with her. Ingeborg was still refused the rights of a queen and constantly besought the Pope to have pity on her forlorn condition. The Pope was now forced to content himself with remonstrances. Philip declared that a baleful charm separated him from Ingeborg, and again begged the Pope to divorce him from a union based on sorcery and witchcraft. The growing need of the French alliance now somewhat slackened the early zeal of Innocent for the cause of the Queen but no real cordiality was possible as long as the strained relations of Ingeborg and Philip continued. At last, in 1213, in the very crisis of his fortunes, Philip completed his tardy reconciliation with his wife after they had been separated for twenty years. Henceforth, Philip was the most active ally of the papacy. While thus dealing with Philip of France, Innocent enjoyed easier triumphs over the lesser kings of Europe. It was his ambition to break through the traditional limits that separated the church from the state, and to bind as many as he could of the kings of Europe to the papacy by ties of political vassalage. The time-honored feudal superiority of the popes over the Norman kingdom of Sicily had been the first precedent for the most unecclesiastical of all papal aggressions. Already others of the smaller kingdoms of Europe, conspicuous among which was Portugal, had followed the example of the Normans in becoming vassals of the Holy See. Under Innocent, at least three states supplemented ecclesiastical by political dependence on the papacy. Sancho, king of Portugal, who had striven to repudiate the former submission of Alfonso I, was in the end forced to accept the papal suzerainty. Peter, king of Aragon, went in 1204 to Rome, and was solemnly crowned king by Innocent. Afterward, Peter deposited his crown on the high altar of St. Peter's, and condescended to receive the investiture of his kingdom from the Pope, holding it as a perpetual fief 
of the Holy See, and promising tribute to Innocent and his successors. In 1213, a greater monarch than the struggling Christian kings of the Iberian Peninsula was forced, after a long struggle, to make an even more abject submission. End of section 16. Recording by Harley Holland from Las Vegas.